Welcome to the You Have a Body podcast. Two broads talking broadly about health. The physical, the emotional, the nitty-gritty, and the fun. Real thoughts on real health. The information provided within this podcast is not designed to and does not provide medical advice, professional diagnosis, opinion, treatment, or services to you or any other individual and is intended for general information for educational purposes only. All right. Welcome to episode 53 of the You Have a Body podcast. I am your host, Lucia Holly, nutritional therapy practitioner and owner of EssentialOmnivore.com. And with me, as always, is Hannah Weideman, owner of Sulcana Fitness and Wellness. Yay! Hi. What's up? What's up? What's up? Um, Hannah and I are, again, recording via Skype, so we haven't seen each other in a week since we recorded last time. Um, so weird. It is weird. It's different. Normally, we just pretend that we haven't seen each other in a week. Like, oh, hey. How are you? Yeah, we're like, how was your week, even though we already recapped? So now I actually don't know. Yeah, I don't know. How was your, how was your week? G- give, me, give me the good recap. Uh, TBH, it's been kind of a rough week. No. I know. Not it's like not for me personally. I just have some some friends that are going through some stuff and you know, when your close friends are dealing with stuff, you're dealing with it too cuz you just I don't know. I feel what they feel. Sure do. So, it's a sign yeah, of, a, of a true friendship too is when your friends are like there for you and know what's going on. Yeah, so that's that's been a topic of on on my mind mm-hmm. for much of the time. Um, I'm trying to think of if I did anything interesting this week at all. <laughs> well, I had, Lauren Anderson came over to my house last night and I showed her how to use the instant pot. Cool. What'd you think? She was like, this is so cool. Cause I made her shredded chicken in, in 15 minutes. That's so Lauren too. That, that was yeah. good. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I think, I think she really liked that. Yay. Otherwise I'm on a deload week. Um, so that's great because I feel like I can just chill all week and I've been doing a little bit of bodybuilding stuff, but mostly just like relaxing and stretching and it's great. I'm excited to get back into it on Monday, but I'm really enjoying this time. Yeah. Congrats. I feel Lovery. like <laughs> it's always such a feat to get to that deload week. Yes, it is. You work so hard. <laughs> that you can max out and then you take a well-earned rest. Sure do. Um, I feel like I've been on a deload three weeks, (laughs) which has been really awesome. Um, I've been battling some of those. I've been having this like tension headache thing that I've been trying to figure out for the last year and a half and it was doing really well and then it kind of cropped up a couple weeks ago. Um, So I've been trying to listen to my body because I have one and it's telling me stuff and it was saying stop, stop doing some things. So I too have been mobilizing, which has felt really good. Um, And then where I'm living right now in Utah, I have a gym I can go to. That's like part of the like apartments that are here. Um, So I went in and conquered the Smith machine, which is like the bar machine. Oh my God. It was gross, but I did it anyway. I still don't know how much that bar weighs. That's my main question. Yeah, it's probably a weird number. It probably like is. Like 20 and, or 30 pounds or something like that. Yeah, and when I look it up online, the answers change. Some are like, just just go off of the plates that you use, bro. Don't worry about it. And other people are like, no, it's always 25, 35. And other people are like, it changes depending on how much weight you put on it. And I don't like that answer. No, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right? Oh my god! So that's been an adventure. Um, yeah, and you've been doing some mindfulness practices, huh? Do yeah, I have. Thanks for thanks for shouting that out. That's been a really big thing. Um, just yesterday, I think I recognized that this is the longest period of consistent time that I've had a mindfulness practice that I've like have stuck to so easily. And um, I like post about it on Instagram every day because I feel like that's my accountability for it. Even if no one, I don't know who is noticing. Some people are, you're noticing. So that's good. Um, But I changed the phrasing for this because I feel like as much as I talk about 
how using the word should just gets people into hot water because if you should do something, you're probably not going to do it. And if you do, and if you don't do it, then you probably feel guilt and shame and there's a big head trip. Anyway, but for the last however many months or years, I've been telling myself I should meditate because it's something I talk about with clients and in my classes. Yeah. And then I won't do it because I'm like, oh, I should do it. Well, I'm not doing it. Blah. So finally, I switched the phrasing and I said, well, I will invite myself to do it if I want to. And fancy that. I want to do it every single day. And I love it. But it's not this like, there's no schedule or rhyme or reason around it. It's just like a little exploration, which has been super fun for me. So Sounds great. Yeah. It's been, it's been really awesome. It's been like pretty therapeutic too. Like meditation's no joke. Like there's a reason I avoid it because like big stuff comes up, but it's pretty cool like getting through that big stuff. So, yeah, well, that's been my I, week. I got uh, my new copy of my Bust magazine in the mail a couple days ago, and one section of it was about doing a technology detox, and it was talking about all these studies that have demonstrated that you're when you're using your technology very frequently, you have lower creativity, uh, worse sleep, obviously harder time connecting with other people. And I have been noticing my phone is in my hand all the time lately. Yeah. Like with, I think with, with having a business, I just imagine that I need to be on the phone at all times or have it with me. And this article suggested you take a 36 to 72 hour screen detox, all screens, and then, you know, build in some better practices around your technology. So I'm trying to think of what that would look like or how I could do it because it seems like hard to imagine, you know, that long of a time where you could actually tune out and turn off. I was going to say, as a business owner, how does that make you feel? Because so much of your business, especially behind the, behind the scenes stuff, is screen time. Yeah. Also, what if something happened mm-hmm. and people couldn't get a hold of me? That sounds bad. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I'm I'm thinking about maybe just scheduling a camping trip or a time at the cabin just to turn off and leave my phone at home. Yeah. See how it it goes. Do it. I will, uh, I gently explore with that once in a blue moon by like leaving my phone. If I'm going to go on a, uh, like run an errand or like go grocery shopping. And it's weird. It's such a comfort thing. I'm like, what if, what if, all these what ifs come into my head. Like, what if my phone is not near me for ten minutes and I'm gonna die? What happens then? Oh my god! Yep. it is. It is an addiction. I would be so curious to hear how it would feel if you were able to turn that phone off. Yeah, we'll see. I'm gonna. I'm gonna figure out how to give it a try. <sighs> it seems hard. I'm already even having a hard time picking the days. <laughs> I'm like, well, I have this thing and this thing and this thing, and I can't be late and I. I use it for directions. So, you know, if I did go to my parents' house and left my phone at home, I'd have to write down how to get there. You might have to print off some directions or write them down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And oh I don't boy. even know. And then I'd have to use my computer to do that. So I don't know. It's a lot. It might take planning, right? It's like those, like, it's like structuring boundaries and how you navigate your day instead of having this, like, little, hold on my phone, little go-to thing that's always right there. Um I'm yeah, also, so if anybody if anybody wants anybody out there is listening and wants to do this detox, maybe if we did it as a team. Silently. Yeah, I mean we we can't really check in with each other, but it's kind of just knowing that other people are tuning out because that feeling, the FOMO, the feeling of missing out is real. Mm-hmm. And you know, I if there's other people who are also doing it, then there's maybe an opposite of FOMO. It's like, hey, we're all tuning in on purpose, and that's great. I will say what's been interesting for me along similar lines is that so I've been in this long distance relationship and so much of that is over the phone and now that I'm here for these couple of weeks um, with Caleb it's actually been more freeing because we like are on the same schedule right now instead of always trying to feel like we have to touch base via phone or have our phones on ourselves at all times um, it's been it's been awesome. It's been different, though. It made me reflect. I'm like, oh, my God, my whole life for the last month or last year has been all phone time. So Right. Absolutely. So phones. Maybe we need to have an episode about those. 
and but we, we can't because then we can't use the screen to talk to each other. No. <laughs> Dang it. Ah. Um, all right. Well, we'll, have to well let's talk about, you know, the topic of the day. Oh, I guess. <laughs> uh, saturated fats and speed. Not and that. not the drug speed. Not that one. Different subject for a different day. No. no. Speed in an athletic sense. That's right. In yeah. terms of your ability to move quickly. Yeah. So um, I guess, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Oh, I can go first. I'd be happy to talk about speed. Let's do it. I want to hear about speed. All right. Let's dive in. So speed. What I'm talking about when I'm referring to speed is fast twitch versus slow twitch muscle fiber. Because I think a lot of people know what those words are. They don't necessarily know what they mean or how they make any sort of difference in your body. So that's our area of exploration today. Love it. What are fast twitch fibers? What are slow twitch fibers? And can you change them? So let's start with uh, slow twitch fibers, which aka type 1 fibers. Type 1 slow twitch. They are fibers that tend to use oxygen to fire and they take a little longer to get going, but they can work for a longer period of time without getting tired. That's why we think about them when we think about endurance sports or things where you're moving a little bit slower for longer. Um, those slow twitch fibers will help you do that. They require oxygen, so they have to be present in, an in aerobic activity. Um, and the force per contraction on those muscle fibers is spread out over time. So it's not like an immediate force. It takes time to apply. People who are marathon trainers uh, or long distance runners might notice that they have a higher percentage of type one fibers mm. rather than, for example, a sprinter who might have type two fibers. And actually type two fibers are split into two categories, type two B or type two A. Wow. So type two type B are the fast twitch fibers. Those are the anaerobic fibers. They, they function without oxygen. They fire very quickly. Um, so force happens immediately, but they tire out very easily. Uh, sprinters and then fast animals like cheetahs, lions, deer, they have tons of fast twitch fiber and the ratio of fast twitch to slow twitch is much higher. Um, but what you'll notice is that athletes who are like that or animals that are like that tend to have long periods of rest followed by really quick speed and energy. Right. Like like a lion, for example, which will sleep for 16 hours of the day. And then when they hunt, they might move slowly until they have to sprint. And then they get real fast <laughs> for a very short period of time so they can take down their food. Right. And then they're done. And, and then, then they go done. back to sleeping the rest of the hours exactly. of the day or eating. And they, they, cut they even lay they down while they're eating a lot of times. Oh, they're my kind of people. <laughs> yep. Then we have type 2A fibers, which are the halfway point. They're like a hybrid fiber between type 1 and type 2B. So they're equal parts aerobic and anaerobic. Because, I mean, we talk about this when we talk about um, the anabolic pathways, too. You can have, you know, a really fast twitch fiber and a really slow twitch fiber, but you've got to have an in intermediate point. Otherwise, there's going to be a, a, a moment where your body has to, like, click on oh, gosh. to your slow twitch. So that's what those type 2A fibers, they're, they're transitional. They help your body move from those quick bursts of energy to your longer duration exercises. Um, they're not great at either one. They're not great at long distances, and they're not great at sprinting, but they are a great transition tool, and you can use them for either, and you can kind of get away with it. It's like if you really burn out your fast twitch stuff, but then you need to continue to use really explosive power, you might call on your type 2A fibers to help you finish the job. When What would be a scenario that someone might imagine themselves having that happen? Well, like today, for example, we're pushing sleds in the gym, and it's super humid today, so the floor <laughs> is like so sticky. So you come at that sled and the first thing you do is just like slam your body into it and you push it super fast, sprint across the floor, turn it around, you start coming back and all of a sudden you just can't do it anymore. Well, you're barely breathing, so it's not, your body's not really able to go into functional aerobic 
a moment. You're not really able to tap into your slow twitch fibers. And the job you're asking it to do is the job of the fast twitch fibers to be explosive and powerful. So those type 2 A fibers can help you out. They will do the work of a fast twitch fiber, but just not as efficiently and not mm. as well. Sure. So you slow down. I know yeah. that feeling. Same thing if you're <laughs> exactly. Same thing if you're sprinting from something. You're running from something as fast as you can. At some point, you need to slow down a little bit. But you know, let's say that thing is a puma. You're trying to get away. You're gonna keep your body's gonna keep pushing as hard as it can. It just might not be as efficient. You might be gasping more for for air. Sure. For example. Um, and starting to feel a little sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those are the types of fibers. Type 1, slow twitch. Type 2B, fast twitch. Type 2A, intermediate. You're born with your fibers, unfortunately. <laughs> there is a huge genetic component in terms of your, the proportions between your type 2 and type 1 fibers. Um, and most people are equally parts aerobic and anaerobic. Most people have equal proportions of those two things. So you end up being kind of good at both things or being able to do both things. But the type 2A fibers, the ones that are transitional, they are potentially changeable. So you might find, like, let's say you just looked at the body of a regular person, you're going to find that most people are 50-50 for both. You might find that an elite runner has 80% fast twitch, an elite sprinter has 80% fast twitch and 20% slow. And a lot of that is genetic, but there might also be a little bit of a component of training that went into that. Wow. Because that's a substantial difference from 50% yeah. to 80%. That's no joke. Yeah. Yes. And so much of that is genetically based. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> people... People are, you might just be born good at one or the other, or you might be born just like the rest of us where you're kind of okay at both. Yeah. And Which is, I think, what most athletes experience is feeling like, oh, I'm not as excellent as I want to be. Well, it's not entirely your fault. And if you're, if you're being athletic, you know what? You already won. You did it. Right. <laughs> it's all good. But, like, to be honest. Uh, Usain Bolt was born with more fast twitch fibers than you were. So, you know, it's not just a training thing. Yeah. That dude was born to run. Yeah. He's disciplined, but also there's a little bit of genetics in there too. Yeah. <laughs> but I think for people listening, they're probably wondering, well, how can I tap into changing my fast twitch fibers to slow twitch or my slow twitch to fast twitch, depending on what your goal is. If you're a CrossFitter, don't, don't worry about it. Just continue to train the way you're, that you're training because you want a little bit of both. Um, the reality is you can't take a type 2 and change it to a type 1. You can't just switch over your fast twitch and slow twitch. Um, that's not going to happen. But like I said, those intermediate fibers, types, type 2A, they could be changed. Um, and when, when they look at them under a microscope, what you see is that uh, an endurance fiber, so a slow twitch fiber, tends to be very red, and a fast twitch fiber tends to be very white, mm -hmm. and the intermediate fibers have various shades. So you could make them a little redder or a little whiter, <laughs> you know, by working on certain areas yeah. of your body. You can change your gradient. Exactly. Exactly. So they, they tend to be right in the middle, but... Um, and you could, and you could also take. There's been some studies that have shown that you could take a pure white fiber or a pure red fiber, and make them a little less red or a little less white. But you're not going to change it into a, a opposite type of fiber. You're not going to change what it, what its structure is. Right. Yeah. So, uh, on top of that, there was a study done in Canada. So you know, you know it's. You know it's fair. You know it's fair. <laughs> it's it's nice. It's going to listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's apologetic. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, they did a study looking at these fast twitch and slow twitch fibers, and they found that 45% of the fiber, 45% of any variation that you see is genetic. So, you know, almost half of what you see in a body is genetic. 40% of the variance is due to environmental influences, a.k.a. exercise. <laughs> there it is. 
Yeah, and then the rest of that percentage it varied between a number of other things. But so there, there is definitely a huge genetic component, but there also is some influence that you could do through exercise, which we already know. So that's great. That's yeah. a good thing. It's yeah. encouraging. It's empowering. Yeah. So if you want to get faster, which I think it, the first thing you want to do is figure out, is that actually your goal? Because if you're an endurance athlete and like a, like a marathon runner and you want to get a faster marathon time, you're not really actually looking to get more fast twitch muscle fiber. Mm-hmm. You're looking to increase your slow twitch, slow twitch muscle fiber, and you're just looking to improve your overall aerobic capacity and probably some muscle tone. Right. So just consider what faster actually means because fast twitch fibers are for very short sprint duration exercises. We're talking about a hundred meter sprint. We're talking about heavy weightlifting for one rep, explosive weightlifting, like an Olympic weightlifting shot put discus, things that are like very fast, very snappy and don't require you to run for a long period of time. Like movements that are under a minute, would you say of like of actual movement? Like, like yes. doing a back squat is like seconds, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. So if you want to be a, a faster athlete in that way, if you want to be able to do things like be really explosive in your extension of your snatch or your clean and jerk, or you want to be able to um, sprint off the blocks really fast or do run around the bases as quickly as possible, then you're looking to train your fast twitch. If you want to be a faster long distance runner, this is not for you. <laughs> That's slow twitch. Yeah. And, and of course, there's always going to be benefits to training both if you are a, a long-distance runner or an endurance athlete. I'm not telling you to stop training your fast-twitch muscles. I'm just saying you're, not, you're, you're probably not going to want to shift your entire focus to training your fast-twitch muscle fiber if you want to be a, a, a faster long-distance runner. Right. You still got to get some long runs, some long endurance in there. You got to do it. You got to do sorry. it. <laughs> gotta sorry, do not sorry. Real, bro. <laughs> so um the greater the intensity of an exercise so meaning the percentage of your one rep max or the percentage of your vo2 max um not just how strenuous the exercise feels but actually the greater intensity there is the more you're likely to tap into your fast twitch fibers so uh in in 2004 a study that was looking at different body types and different athletes found that powerlifters and olympic weightlifters had much greater fast twitch muscle fiber development than, for example, bodybuilders. Mm. Because those powerlifters and Olympic weightlifters are more likely to do one or two reps at heavy weights, whereas bodybuilders are going to be doing lots of reps at lower lower weights. Right. So when they actually try to recruit those muscles for a very fast, powerful exercise, they might find that they have a harder time doing that than um, a more, more of a strength training athlete who doesn't quite look as cut. As they <laughs> but they do. can really get the work done. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the quickest ways to increase your muscle, your fast twitch muscle, muscle fiber is to just get closer to your, your maximum intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that really helps to contribute to that is fatigue. Oh, do tell. Yeah. Well, so when you're under fatigue, your body is going to tend to when you're when you're doing something for a long period of time. Your body's going to tend to recruit, recruit slow twitch fibers, but once you fatigue those fibers, it has to recruit fast twitch fibers to do what it's being asked to do. And again, this we're not talking about um, fatigue over a long duration exercise because that's a different type of fatigue. That fatigue, that feeling of exhaustion, is from putting your body through duress, but it's not from being without oxygen. In this circumstance, we're talking about fatigue under a situation where you have very little access to oxygen. So you're breathing very heavy and moving super quickly. Mm. So the goal would be then to keep your workout density much higher, complete the workout that you had planned in a shorter period of time. That that will give you the opportunity to recruit more of this fast twitch muscle fiber in order to complete the task at hand. So, if you normally take two and a half hours to do your weight training workout, you might consider cutting it down to 90 minutes <laughs> and actually pushing yourself a little bit to move faster and take less rest if you're looking to gain fast twitch fibers. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's a really cool point to talk about. Maybe that's really like 
obvious for power lifters or people who are already into some sort of strength training. But I think for someone who's just coming to like working out or CrossFit just as like a purely a form of exercise and they, people don't have this background of understanding that yes, it's a movement that you're doing, but also it's the flip side. It's like the negative to the image. It's the lack of what you're doing. So speeding up your rest periods, right? Looking at that fatigue, that's going to go a long way in how your body is having to respond and adapt. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, really, when you talk when you talk about using fast twitch muscle fiber, gaining fast twitch muscle fiber, what you're talking about is doing essentially CrossFit because you're trying to train, you create a training program that incorporates movements with a premium on creating a lot of force at high velocity. So doing things quickly and with a lot of intensity. Um, and that'll help you induce more expression of your fast twitch fibers versus your slow twitch. So if you were to give someone a challenge this week based on well, all I of have, this. Have, I've got more for you. Oh, all right. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got all sorts of challenges for you. Um, so I think that's a really kind of, you know, easy to understand in terms of theory, but then how do you actually put it into practice? Here's something interesting to understand about muscle fiber recruitment is that your fast twitch muscle fibers are actually more likely to be recruited immediately if you're well rested. Hmm. So I know I said if you're training your fast twitch, you should do it under duress. So when you're fatigued, you're more likely to pull out your fast twitch when when you need them um, once you've fatigued your slow twitch. But then the opposite is true if you're well rested and you and your body is is recovered when you need them you're more likely to be able to recruit your fast twitch muscle fiber than uh than when you're actually fatigued or tired from doing multiple workouts or when you when you need to be resting which is why there's so much emphasis on tapering or deloading for like a weightlifting meet for example because if you do that when you're rested your body will be more likely to be able to be super explosive mm. on your first, you know, attempts rather than if you're very fatigued coming in. Um, so then the other things to know are just like how to actually continue training those things, what movements could contribute to that. Besides lifting, you could do plyometric exercises that require you to push hard for an instance, for an instant. So, uh, like depth jumps, jump squats, Olympic lifts, drop jumps. A lot of drop and catch movements are really good for recruiting fast twitch because they require your body to be very reactive. And if they were trying to use, if your body was trying to use slow twitch, you would probably just fall. Yeah, no thanks. And so don't want to fall. <laughs> yeah. So making your squats faster, your bench faster, um, doing what's called reactive squats where you like drop really fast and then catch at the bottom and stand up. Sure. Um, ballistic activities, basically things that are very explosive where you're moving at high speeds or super maximal, maximal force. Also kipping movements, LOL world of people who hate kipping. <laughs> Guess what? It is very useful to understand and be able to use kipping movements to help you increase your fast twitch fibers. So, can you, uh, doing can, can you define what kipping is for people who do not know? Well, go back and listen to the dang kipping episode. <laughs> Come on, people! Uh, but you know your strict strength, like you might do a strict pull up and you just pull yourself right up. But then, if you're doing kipping pull up, you're going to get a little swing, and uh, you're going to recruit your hips into that and be able to drive yourself up over the bar faster and more frequently. So kipping pull-ups, kipping uh, muscle-ups, kipping toes-to-bar, basically all of that stuff that it forces you to have a really fast return, so where you have to catch yourself in the bottom of the, of the pull-up, um, that's going to help you recruit more fiber 2B and less slow twitch. Get plenty of rest and eat so your body is not in stress mode. That will also help you recruit those fast twitch fibers. And... Um, then the last piece would just be if you're if you're looking to speed up your body. Remember that it's not just those explosive fibers that help you, but also focusing on things like agility, accuracy, precision in terms of your movement. That's all going to help you feel faster and more powerful when you try to actually apply those movements in a, an important situation. 
Right. So it's it's both your like skill level with the movement and not necessarily just like brute force. Sure, absolutely. Like it's great to do a bunch of short sprints, uh, but you might consider also trying some short sprints where you're cutting side to side because we we just talked about if you're doing some movements that force you to rebound, that's also going to help you recruit those fast twitch. And it's going to help you build balance, which is very important when you're trying to be fast. And how efficient, too. What a great use of your time. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my challenge for you this week would be um, to think about the workout that you normally do. Maybe uh, normally on on Wednesdays you like to do deadlifting or whatever. And how long it normally takes you, how much rest you usually give yourself, how frequently you're sitting on your phone in between sets. And I want you to purposely uh, decrease that rest time and increase your amount of active time. And also I want you to think about you doing an ex- uh, a recovery or sorry, not a recovery, an accessory exercise that is slightly more explosive or ballistic, but still is working on that same movement. So cool. yeah, like for example, if you're going to do some back squats, maybe do some in the beginning or at the end that are drop squats where you're dropping to the bottom of your squat and then driving up as fast as you can at low weights. Right. Yeah. Within reason. Within reason. Just to to warm up or to do an accessory exercise. It doesn't have to be your primary movement. Right. Cool. Can do. Love it. There you go. Speed. Getting fast. Awesome. Um, I feel like I don't have a great segue into saturated fats, aside from well, the fact right. that exactly. speed and S and saturated both start with S. That's exactly exactly. It's our week. Um, so, what are saturated fats? Why are we talking about saturated fats? A, they're still getting a bad rep in modern like news outlets. Last week we talked about pop science. The week before that we were mentioning that coconut oil study that came out and the AHA and how they were saying we still shouldn't be eating coconut oil and all of that. So let's just have a general primer on what saturated fats actually are and let's recognize, spoiler alert, saturated fats are fine. They are not clogging your arteries. There's something else that is clogging your arteries. Yeah, you love them. So I love them. We love them. Okay. Royal we, all of us. So what are saturated fats? Um, Saturated fats a saturated fat is one of three different types of fats. So we have saturated, monounsaturated, and polyunsaturated fats. So these are our three main categories, and we're just looking at the saturated today. Probably have an episode about monounsaturated and an episode about polyunsaturated sometime in the future because I think they deserve um, time being spoken about them because there's lots to say about each type of fat. So saturated fats... Um, what saturated actually means is when you look at the like chemical composition of a saturated fat, so you have this little molecule, buddy, you have a visual, what it is, it's a chain of carbons that are all linked up to each other. So carbon, 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 carbon. In this visual of your chain of carbons, you have something that you're looking at on top of the carbons and something that you're looking at underneath the carbons. There is an opening on the top and on the bottom all along this chain of carbons where hydrogen can attach. Every spot that a hydrogen can attach in a saturated fat, a hydrogen is attached. So that carbon molecule lineup is saturated with hydrogen. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Right? Why That's, it's called saturated fat. <laughs> it's not called saturated because it clogs your artery. It's not because it's saturating you with a bunch of gross, yucky, greasy fat. All saturated means is that those hydrogen um, are attached to the carbon and the carbon is replete. It is saturated with hydrogen. And that makes a saturated fat a very stable compound. That seems good to me. It seems good to me too. So when we're thinking about our saturated fats, of those three types, saturated, monounsaturated, and polyunsaturated, in our kitchens and from a culinary standpoint, a saturated fat is going to be the option that we can feel comfortable exposing to something that might otherwise make a fat rancid. 
And all, all it means when a fat is becoming rancid is that oxygen is now attaching to that compound, that structure. Therefore, a saturated fat is more stable because it's more difficult for an oxygen to attach when there's so many darn hydrogens already attached. Mm -hmm. So there are three ways that a fat can become rancid when we're cooking with it or when we're using it from a culinary standpoint. A fat can be exposed to heat, which can change its structure. It can be exposed to air, right? If you leave fat out, it can get rancid just from sitting out on the countertop. And it can become rancid by light. All of those are three options that can change the structure of this compound. So a saturated fat in the kitchen is going to be our option that we we're going to feel most comfortable exposing to any of those three different types um, of potential oxidizers. While we don't really need to worry too much about exposure to air and exposure to light, the one that we're really going to pay most attention to with a saturated fat is going to be cooking with that fat because that's really going to be our biggest source of potential um, oxidation with fats is heating up a fat and cooking our vegetables in it, cooking a meat in it, frying something, deep frying. So, Hannah, I know you and I have spoken about saturated fats before, so can you please list off a few different types of saturated fats? Coconut oil. Yep. Ghee. Yep. Animal fats. Animal fats. That's lovely. Things like lard, tallow, bacon fat, that's great. That's going to run the gamut for a lot of different types of saturated fats that people are mostly going to be encountering in the kitchen. Those are some good standbys. So when in doubt, if you're cooking, go ahead and use one of those options that Hannah just listed. There's a fun trick. Maybe it's fun for the dorks out there, but dorks, I know you're listening. There's a fun trick where you can visually tell if a fat or a lipid, if you will, a fat or an oil. If a lipid is actually a fat, because when we get a little bit more nitty-gritty with stuff, a fat is going to mean a saturated fat, and a monounsaturated fat and a polyunsaturated fat are going to be um, more so called oils versus fats. So all of those fall under the header of lipid. If you want to tell what is a saturated fat, I want you to notice what different fats and oils do at room temperature. So what does butter do? What do you do when you when it is out on the countertop? What happens? It's a solid. It stays solid. What about coconut oil? It's a solid. It's a solid. What about when you make a big batch of bacon and you eat all the bacon and you save the bacon fat, you pour it off into a ramekin and it cools down from being really hot and it cools down to room temperature. What happens? It's a solid. It's a solid. Love it. So visually, saturated fats are going to be primarily solid at room temperature. Different than a monounsaturated and polyunsaturated, which will be liquid, like an olive oil at room temperature. It's pourable, okay? So if you're ever curious, like, oh my gosh, I don't remember. Can I cook with butter? Can I cook with bacon fat? Well, what is it doing at room temperature? Is it solid? Yeah. Okay then I can feel pretty comfortable cooking with it and know, and I'll know that it won't get that rancid, okay? So at the very least, those are the practical ideas that I want people to take away from the idea of cooking with a saturated fat. And I think that takes out a lot of the issues that people have with saturated fats. No, we can use them for a specific purpose, which is to cook because their ability to withstand the heat that we're going to expose some fat or oil to because we're going to cook, we might as well use a saturated fat because they are going to be hardier. They're going to be what about more stable. When you, because sometimes you can buy a, like a liquid coconut oil. What have they done to those oils that are normally solid to make them stay liquid at room temperature? Right. And that's becoming more popular too. You'll see things like MCT. Um, oil, which is derived from coconut oil, or just uh, um, coconut oils that are, you don't have to heat up, right? They're saving you a step in the kitchen where it's just liquid. 
All right, you're getting into more of a processed oil again because they have gone in and they've changed, by they, I mean industry, they've changed the chemical composition of that fat into an oil. And that's something that you can see the reverse of that used to happen more and more, and it still does, with something like a hydrogenated fat, right? I think we hear that hydrogenated oils are bad, that we need to avoid trans fatty acids. Those will be found in those hydrogenated oils. What a hydrogenated oil is, is where industry has gone in and they've changed that structure, that molecular structure, of either a monounsaturated or polyunsaturated fat. And again, spoiler, those types of fats have fewer hydrogens attached, so they have more openings. They're not saturated anymore. So industry has gone in and they've manipulated those fats so that they've plugged in hydrogens. They've hydrogenated these oils so that visually and in the kitchen, they act now like a saturated fat. And that's what you'll see with something like Crisco. Okay, Crisco, mm. right? So we're using our lard replacement. We're saying lard is bad. Let's use Crisco. Let's use vegetable shortening in place of these natural sources of saturated fats because we want to make a flaky pie crust or we're, doing, we're making biscuits and we want it to act like a fat. Well, if you look at the ingredients in something like Crisco, it's probably going to be safflower oil, corn oil, canola oil, cottonseed oil, soybean oil, or some blend of any or all of those, which are all polyunsaturated fats. A polyunsaturated fat is going to be liquid at room temperature. Is that what you get when you open up a tub of Crisco? No. No, a tub of Crisco is going to be solid, like butter, at room temperature. So it's been a little manipulated by human hands to... Yeah, just like everything else we eat. Just like everything else we eat. So when we're talking about saturated fats, I want people to be emphasizing unprocessed saturated fats. There's not much you have to do to coconut meat to separate the fat from the liquid. You pretty much just have to blend it and the fat will rise to the top and the water and solids will fall to the bottom and you've got it. How do you make butter? You get milk, you let the fat, which is the cream, you let, excuse me, you get milk, you let the cream rise to the top just by sitting and then you put that cream in a jar and you shake it, right? Did you ever do that in school? Yep. I did, you yes. shake it and what happens? The water, the liquid in that, um, cream separates from the fat and you get butter. You can literally make butter at home, right? Versus trying to make something like Crisco at home. That's going to take a little bit more work than uh, most even very scientific people can achieve in the kitchen. Okay. Yeah. So and then you could take that butter and you could even take out all of the <laughs> dairy solids and make it into the most delicious ghee you've ever had in your dang life. You can. And I bet you can do it in an instant pot. Yeah, I bet you can! <laughs> and his next project. <laughs> but it sounds like a lot of scooping. It's not too bad. You don't think so? No, no. Ghee is pretty easy. It's pretty uh, uh, minimal effort. Less scooping. <laughs> okay, so now we know how to use saturated fats in the kitchen. Um, where we find it, so butter, lard, tallow, coconut oil using our eyes visually to see what type of lipid is a fat, okay? And we care about this because about 50% of our cell membranes in our own bodies are composed of saturated fats. Fat is flavor, so from a satisfaction standpoint, we want to make sure we're getting in enough dietary fats, okay? I think we can all agree that a well-cooked chicken thigh with the skin on, little crispy chicken skin, pretty unctuous, pretty satisfying. There's nothing wrong with that. Fat and saturated fats are a very dense source of calories. They're twice as calorically dense as proteins or carbohydrates. And a calorie is a measurement of energy. So from an energetic standpoint, a fat, including saturated fat, is going to be a wonderful source 
of energy and specifically of long burning energy. So there's nothing wrong with a saturated fat. It's natural. It's one of three different types that we will be encountering in the foods that we eat. And like I've spoken about with macronutrients in general, right, so proteins, carbs, and fats, when we talk about um, spinach being a leafy green, and a leafy green is mostly going to be, at the end of the day, a carbohydrate, right, or something like a white potato, a starchy carbohydrate. Um, when we're talking about those options, we are being a little presumptive and saying that that food in question is primarily composed of one macronutrient or other, while it still might be containing a certain amount of another macronutrient. So a potato, mostly carbohydrate, but there is some protein, okay? There's not very much fat, but there's definitely some protein. Same thing when we're talking about fats. So butter, primarily saturated fat, there's still going to be some polyunsaturated, some monounsaturated. Same goes for something like a flaxseed oil or a polyunsaturated fat. It's primarily that type. That's why we're coupling it in that category. But it's not always 100% one type of fat or the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, great. So because of this, this is where the quality of the fat comes in. So with these different articles that have come out, they make out saturated fat to be such a horrible thing and such a, a just saturated fat is clogging your arteries and you should not eat it ever, 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 specifically saturated fat from animals. But I want to make the distinction that the quality of the saturated fat, same as the quality of a polyunsaturated fat or a monounsaturated fat, is really what is going to make the difference. So if you can opt for options that are coming from animals that are sourced well, so animals that probably ate a species-appropriate diet, that lived a happy life, hopefully were maybe local if you can swing it, right, so you know who is producing them, that's going to help us make sure that the actual ratio of fats that we're deriving from that animal and, of course, saturated fats will be appropriate and will be less toxic too. With fats and saturated fats, we're thinking about how we're using them in the kitchen, why we're using them as we are in the kitchen, and recognizing that they are not the main drivers of our arteries getting clogged. The main driver of our arteries getting clogged is inflammation. And inflammation is gonna come from refined sugars and refined oils. Just saying, guys, the article you read on USA Today is wrong. <laughs> and yes, while you might possibly, just by cutting out all sources of saturated fats, it's probably going to be a healthier option because if you cut out saturated fats, you'll be cutting out a lot of processed foods and a lot of poor quality meats. Great. That's going to be, it's going to feel good for plenty of people. That's not quite addressing the issue that we still need saturated fats. A lot of our body is composed of saturated fats, specifically our cells. So our cells' ability to function. So we need to get in some type of saturated fat. Uh, the challenge is to go into your kitchen today and see which lipids you are exposing to heat. I want you to categorize. Is this a fat? What is it doing at room temperature? Or is it an oil? And how am I using it? Yep. So I'm going to challenge myself to make ghee. There you go. Get it in the Instant Pot. Yeah, dolly. Duh. <laughs> it needs to heat up the stove when you have an Instant Pot. <laughs> okay. So that alone is what I want to say about saturated fats. Sounds you, great. If you want to be reducing inflammation, reduce those polyunsaturated fats that are so easily turned rancid. Okay, so you got to get real choosy about taking out those refined seed oils, which are going to be vegetable, quote-unquote, vegetable oils, canola oil, corn oil, soybean oil, cottonseed oil, safflower oil. Take those out. Take out those refined sugars. And guess what? Eating an egg or two, another source of a saturated fat, 
is not going to be the end all. And it's not going to go clog up your artery with that egg yolk and its deliciousness. It's actually it's a health deliciousness. Food. Yeah. So that's, that's what I want to say. There's so much more I could say. We could talk about how it's really being used by the body. Um, a saturated fat breaks down into different types of fatty acids, such as stearic acid, lauric acid, and merizitic, or meristic acid. But that's fodder for another day. It does sound like another day. An episode, meristic. Meristic episode. Just don't fear the fats and... You can, you can be empowered to choose what types of fats you're encountering, especially in your kitchen. But if you want a second challenge, go ahead and go ask which oils are used in the restaurants that you're patronizing. Okay? Heck yeah. Go do it. You'll, okay. you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. And then it'll probably put a fire under your butt to um, maybe not eat those oils or fats as much because that's primarily where people are going to be um, getting huge access to those more refined oils. Absolutely. All right. Well, speed. Well, we've, hit, we've hit our breaking point. Speed and saturated fats. We're at the brink. We are. We've run up onto the edge, and we're about to dr- fly off. Will you fly off into this me? Into this 1.30 p.m. afternoon. <gasps> so thanks, everybody, for joining us. And thank you, as usual, to Taj Ruler, who is... Uh, when you make when you make your own ghee, that caramel smell that's in the air, that's Taj Ruler. Sure is. Sure is. <laughs> uh, thank you all for joining us, and please come back next week for more You Have a Body podcast. Bye. The You Have a Body podcast is produced by me, Taj Ruler. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit noisepicnic.com for full episode information. Join in on the conversation at facebook.com slash youhaveabodypodcast. Tweet at us at You Have a Body or find us on Instagram at You Have a Body Podcast. Let us know what's going on with you because guess what? You have a body.